0: Whether we're carnivores or vegans, stained glass window Episcopalians or white walls and back to simplicity Quakers, homogeneous groups have less conflict. But as our study leader Dave Wurtzen opens to Acts chapter 10, the real question is, who does God accept? Does He show partiality to one group over another? And what will it take for us to break out of our in-group? So that Jesus can reach others.: Every one of us have an in-group. Every one of you sitting out there have an in-group. I have in-groups, you have in-groups. You say, Dave, what in the world are in-groups? Your in-groups is where you feel safe. It's where you feel comfortable. It's where you feel that you're with your own people, that you're in-group. In fact, let me just illustrate. How many of you like to go to the Texas Land and Cattle Company? You like some good Texas beef, and you love John Wayne movies and stuff like that, okay? You go out to eat with people that like red meat. If you're a vegetarian, you don't go to the Texas Land and Cattle Company. In fact, probably if you're a vegetarian here this morning in Midlothian, Texas, you're probably not in your in-group, And if you are a vegetarian, then you go to Whole Foods. How many of you shop at Walmart? If you are a Whole Foods person, then going to Walmart is anathema. It's out. You don't do that. When it comes to religion, some of you have been raised in backgrounds where when you come to church, it's beautiful, and there's beautiful stained glass windows, and there's all kinds of art, and then there's beautiful architecture, and your priest wears beautiful robes, and you're an Episcopalian or an Anglican if you're in the Protestant tradition. Where I was raised back in New York, and when I went with my dad down to Pennsylvania, there would be Quaker services. In a Quaker service, stained glass windows are anathema. They're of the devil. And you need to sit in a circle. And there's all white walls, very simple, very quiet. In fact, what I'm doing right now is considered anathema because you need to be quiet. You need to listen to the great holy God. Quakers and Episcopalians are as far away as you can imagine. And it's very easy if you're in one of those groups. I just talked about some Protestant things that we all have our in-groups in eating. We have our in-groups in religion, and we could go on and on. But I want to talk to you about one of the ultimate in-groups. You see, there was a group of people. They were the ultimate in-group, you might say. I mean, for hundreds of years, they lived among populations that were far larger than themselves, and yet they maintained their identity. And they only ate certain kinds of food, absolutely no pig. In fact, about 167 years before this patch, a little bit more than that, this group of people even fought because there was a group of other people that were trying to get them to eat pig. And man, they are not going to eat pig. And so they fought for that, and they actually defeated the people that tried to get them to do that. They had their own special times of worship, and you would meet together on a regular weekly basis. They had one of the most intense communities of spirituality, and they would only meet together on the seventh day, on the day of rest, and they had all of those rules. Then they had all kinds of rules that make a group be an in-group, be able to be protected from the outside. And amazingly, the Lord God in heaven had actually created this in-group because he needed to keep this in-group really safe, especially the tribe of Judah, because they were going to bring into the world the prince of life, the ultimate savior. And in 4 or 5 B.C., the Virgin Mary, who was one of these in-group Jewish girls who had not gone out with the Gentiles, she had an angel appear to her and said, you're going to bring the Prince of Life into the world. And Jesus was born. Then he did all the miracles when he, when he grew to adulthood. After John the Baptist baptized him, he went out into Galilee, and then he came down into Judea, did incredible miracles. And then he stretched himself out on Calvary, and he paid the sins for all the world. Not just Jewish people, but he paid the sins for everybody. And then amazingly, and this is just as much a part of the good news as the, as the crucifixion, Jesus rose again from the dead. Nobody else has ever done that. And a group of the in-group, a group of only Jews, only those who ate kosher food, only those who worship in the Sabbath, only those who came to the temple in Jerusalem three times a year, only the Jews saw Jesus alive from the dead. In fact, they even ate with him. They ate kosher food with him. And they went fishing with him. And they saw him alive for 40 days. Then they started to tell this message. After this incredible Messiah who had been predicted through all the Old Testament, after he rose again from the dead and descended to heaven, the disciples, especially those original 12 disciples, start going into Jerusalem saying, Christ died for sins. He's the Messiah. You crucified him. But he rose again from the dead. And thousands of Jews, the in-group, are receiving Jesus. Then they break out a little bit because up in Samaria, the Lord Jesus himself had talked to the woman of Samaria. And the Lord Jesus himself in his earthly life had begun to open those doors and say, hey, this isn't just for Jews. So John chapter 4, for example, he reached out to the people that weren't part of the in-group. But up until... Acts chapter 9, for the most part, only the in-group. Philip went and talked to an Ethiopian, and that's kind of a little, just a little foreshadowing that maybe this message needs to break out. But I want you to turn your Bibles today to Acts chapter 10, because we're going to break out of the in-group. I want all of you to know that if you were Jews in the first century, a Roman was your enemy. All of you have enemies. For example, in American culture right now, the war against terror means that Islamic people, a lot of you consider Muslims your enemy. And I want to think really hard. You need to think about what you do on email, what you do in your talk with friends. Because a lot of you, one of your major outgroups are Muslim people. One of the groups that threatens you. Well, I want you to know if you were Jewish, if I was speaking to you in the first century, I mentioned Romans, you would spit. You hated the Romans. You say, why is that? Because they've ruled over you. They conquered you. There in Caesarea, there are cohorts of Roman soldiers. A centurion is the one that's over about 100 men. He's like a captain in the army. And he is in Caesarea because if any insurrection breaks out throughout the land of Israel, he's coming after you. So how do you think you feel about Roman centurions? He is not part of your in-group. He is your out-group, and he's not a neutral out-group. You hate his guts. So I want you this morning to think about who's the out-group for you. And I want to think about who's the out-group for me. After we begin our story, God is about to do a really powerful thing. And he's going to begin to answer some questions like, who does God accept? Who do you think God accepts? How does he accept them? Whose prayers does God listen to? Does God hear your prayers? What about your out group, the group that you hate, the group that you don't like, the group that you feel is your enemy? Does God hear them sometimes? And if he does, what do we need to do about it? Those are all the questions, and I want you to know that what I'm going to teach you in this session, and I'm not sure how far we'll get But I want you to know that we're beginning to talk about one of the most important things of all because if it wasn't for this chapter, hardly any of you would be here. In fact, probably none of you would be here because Christianity would have never been born to create a message that was for the world. It would have stayed as just one of the little classes. We would have had Sadducees and Pharisees. We would have had Essenes, those that worshiped at Qumran. And we would have had this little group called Jesus the Nazarene group. And it probably would have been lost, but it wasn't because there was a group of people just like you in the first century that listened to what the Holy Spirit was doing in their life. And I want to pray that Midlothian Bible Church is going to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say to us in this group. And the very first thing we learn about, we learn about the hated Roman who connected with God. Look what it says in Acts chapter 10. We begin Acts chapter 10, it says at Caesarea, that's the capital where the Roman legions are located. That's where they bivouac. That's where their barracks are. And it was a beautiful city that Herod the Great started building because he wanted to impress the Romans, and Herod the Great kind of went both ways. It's a marvelous harbor. If we visited the Holy Land, if those of you that like scuba diving, you can go scuba diving in the Mediterranean at that point, and you can see the incredible... Um, uh, docks, the incredible, uh, the incredible barriers that Herod the Great built so that Caesarea could become a harbor that rivaled the harbor of Alexandria. Now, there was a man named Cornelius. Now, if you were Jews, and when it says a centurion, in fact, he was known as part of the Italian regiment, right there, my Jewish audience is gone. Because it's like trying to talk to a bunch of Texans about vegetarians. Only it's worse than that. Okay? We need to listen to the story because in this story, this centurion named Cornelius of the Italian regiment is going to become the major character in our story. So we need to really not tune out. We need to listen. It says Cornelius the centurion of what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. And he gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. So we begin to get a picture. As Dr. Luke begins to tell us his story, and I want you to learn to do this. Let the text and think of an author through the text begin to teach you. Based upon what I've told you so far, do you think that in the story that Cornelius is going to be a good guy or a bad guy? How do you know that? Because they just told you, is it a good thing? Do you feel it's good to be devout? How many think it's good to be devout in your worship of the Lord? So that's something you need to follow. The Lord wants all of you to be devout. I want you to notice something else. To be reverent towards God. To be God-fearing means that you have a legitimate, healthy respect. You reverence the Lord. Throughout the world, there are people that are just materialists. They curse God. They don't think there's any God. But throughout the world, there are literally today billions of people who are God-fear. They really believe there's a great ultimate being, and they reverence him. They respect him. You say, Dave, how do you know that? Because Cornelius was like that in the first century. He's a Roman, but he's beginning to listen to a pull that's inside of him. And Luke paints him not as the enemy, but Luke paints him as a really good person in the story. He is known as someone who's devout. He is God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need. How many of you feel that it's good to give generously to those in need? Okay. Doug, he was in the Griffins. I think he's still in, the Griffin Club, the motorcycle club. Doug gives generously to those in need at Christmas time. In fact, I've told you repeatedly, I pray every year for that Sunday when the Griffins make their Christmas toy run for the weather to be good because my credibility with God, with Doug and a lot of Griffins, depends upon what happens that day. Because they're going to get hundreds of children's toys. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? You see, some of you are so much into your little group That when you look at someone that drives motorcycles and wears leather jackets, especially if they have tattoos and bandanas, they're out. They're the bad guys. But you know what we're going to find out? Drink some coffee with some of those people. Go on a bill glass crusade, and there's a really good chance that when you come back after witnessing a whole day in the prison, that you'll sit at a table with a bunch of those people that look like that. And you're going to go, ah, they're going to get me. And then this dear brother will throw his arms around you and tell you an incredible story about how he's actually a medical doctor that does surgery all during the week, but he loves to go on these prison crusades and he loves Harley Davids motorcycles. You're going to find out you made some really stupid choices. You're also going to find out that somebody hugs you with a drug addict, but now they've been redeemed. And by the end of the Bill Glatz weekend, you're going to have another in-group because you're going to find out all those people that you thought were on the out, that God had nothing to do with it, you're going to find out that God is using them to powerfully work. And what I'm teaching you this Sunday from the book of Acts is don't make those judgments about what God is doing. A Jewish audience would have hated what Dr. Luke wrote because Dr. Luke wasn't Jewish. He was a Gentile doctor that traveled with Paul. And he is trying to get this in-group, these really religious conservative Jews to be open. In fact, whenever Dr. Luke talks about centurions, they're always good guys. That's another way that I can judge. Like you say, well, how do you know that you're teaching this is true? You judge it. Go back and read the book of Luke and ask yourself, when centurions are present in the story, what happens? I also want you to notice something else. I've been taught since I was a little boy that God doesn't hear the prayers of unbelievers. Anybody ever heard that? that the Lord God in heaven only hears the prayers of his children. Well, that's a bunch of baloney. In fact, I used to sit there as little kid saying, hey, I thought God was omniscient. You know, I was a snotty kid that used to ask weird questions of preachers because I heard them hour after hour after hour. And a lot of preachers that I hear don't really follow what the text is saying. Based upon this passage, do you think God heard Cornelius's prayers? Okay, I want something else in our church. Right now, I don't want to ever hear again when we take an offering. Now, if you don't know Jesus, we don't want to receive your money. Because this passage teaches us that Cornelius was a Roman centurion on the way to receiving Jesus, he hasn't received Jesus yet. But God is pulling him. And one of the ways that God is pulling him is he really cares about God's chosen people. In fact, this guy possibly built a synagogue for these people in Caesarea because you can look at the ruins in Caesarea and there's a Jewish synagogue there and this guy might have given money to it. You have any unbelieving friends that would like to help reach kids for the gospel? If you've got some unbelieving friends that have some resources, we want to encourage them, bless them. You say, Dave, why do you say that? Because that's what God did with Cornelius. The Lord God in heaven is saying, I heard your prayers, Cornelius. Now, he's not born again. He's not a child of God yet, but he's on the way. I want you to know that when you go to your office this week, when you go to your university this week, when you go to your school this week, there are those that God's Spirit is drawing to himself. And and God's spirit is causing them to to begin to think about the God who's there. They're beginning to think about the power of God, and they're beginning to respect him. They're beginning to ask questions about what's really good, and some of them are responding. Some of them might even be here this morning. I want you to know if you're here this morning and say, well, I don't know about this God thing, and I don't know about the promise that you just said about the Savior that died. You're in the right place. You're like Cornelius. You're on the way. And one of the things I want to communicate to you is you're not part of the out group. We want you to be part of the in group. So this text is teaching us that the Lord God in heaven is listening to this Roman that Jews wouldn't have anything to do with. He hears his prayers, And I'm not saying that you as the children of God don't have special input with God. Because like when my kids ask me something, it's different than if a total stranger asked me something that's not part of my family. But don't tell me that I didn't hear, and don't tell me that I don't ever respond to the stranger. Sometimes I do. You understand that different degradation? You as the child of God. You're the children of God through Jesus. But your heavenly daddy is so big, he knows everything. And he hears everything. And he is seeking those that will worship him and will be devoted to him. And this story cuts across a lot of theology that I was taught as a kid, and yet I want you to enter into what this story is really telling us about the heart of a real God that's there and how he deals with people and how he wants to deal in our own lives. So here we have Cornelius. It says that he gave generously, he prayed to God, and one day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. So the Lord heard his prayers, seen his giving... And now, the Lord directly sends one of his angels. The vision means that in daylight, this is about 3 in the afternoon, the ninth hour, he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Throughout the Islamic world, this is one of the ways that the Lord is speaking to people. And a lot of you that have been on the mission field... Some of those that are far out. In fact, just to be honest with you, throughout my ministry, some of my friends that have been really far out there and you know, really distant from God, sometimes the Lord just gives them a direct jolt. You know, He just really talked to them. And we want to be open to that. We're supernaturalists. We don't believe that the God from above doesn't directly speak. But I also want you to know that that book that you have in your lap is much better than a vision. Because visions come and go. But that book in your lap, you can always hear God's word. You can always hear God's revelation. You can go back today and say, man, you know, I don't know about this in-group stuff. I've been raised from the time I was a kid that there needs to be in-group, that some of you are raised in church backgrounds, that the whole idea was we need to be this little in-group because we're guarding ourselves from the world, and if we don't hold on to our little in-group, everything's going to be lost. Some of you have been raised like that. I understand that. Some of you are trying to do that now. You're trying to create your own little in-group, and you're scared to death about reaching out to centurions. You're scared to death that your kids might meet an Italian Roman. And that's what I want to speak to you about. I'm not asking you to agree with Dave. It's not my philosophy. What does God's word teach us? And that's what I want you to enter into. And the incredible thing is you've got the revelation right here. You can test to see whether or not what I taught you is really God's word. And my passion for you is that you'll build your life on the God that's revealing himself in this book because because I've learned that the more that I listen to him and the more that I allow him to change me, it's one of the most exciting things in the world because he starts bringing you in, into the lives of Cornelius that you would have never guessed. He causes you to be open to people that you thought were on the outs with you. And yet you find out that God is pulling them to yourself. And my passion is that the Lord's going to use the teaching of his word even this morning to cause all of you to leave this room and to go out and be so thrilled that the Holy Spirit using you just like he's going to use Peter in Acts chapter 10 for you to reach some Cornelius's that you're going to open the door to some Corneliuses and you're going to convince some of your friends that it's not being a Baptist or a Methodist or a Roman Catholic or a Bible Churcher. it's really about this incredible Savior that's a Jewish Savior that was born of Jewish kin and yet he's the ultimate promised Messiah. That's what this chapter is about and that's so much bigger than the Baptist story or the Bible church story or the Roman Catholic story or the Church of Christ story, whatever you might have been raised in. And I want you to understand it's the most powerful story of all. And there are crineases out there this week that are praying. Some of them have started giving to needy people. And they're longing for someone to be able to clarify. They, they know that something's missing in their life. And they, and they just want to hear about this incredible Savior. That's what's going on in this passage. And I want you to know that our Heavenly Daddy is aggressive about that. Our Heavenly Daddy is coming after people like that. He even sent his angel to Cornelius because he knew that his Jewish apostles, unless heaven and earth shook, they're not getting out of their Judaism. And man, I'm praying the Lord's going to shake us. In my passion, I want you to know that God has incredible things. We're going through incredible changes. But man, this past week I look over here and I was out in East Texas and I sat around circles of friends and I got to meet a whole bunch of new friends in, in East Texas and I was able to clarify even the loss of Donnie I was able to clarify who Jesus is. And I met a Methodist pastor that I might think, hey, he doesn't really believe in Jesus, but while we're praying before the service, the guy explodes. I just want, he just praises, dear Jesus, some of the, my friends that I've been born and raised with here in Lufkin and, and in East Texas, they don't know Jesus. And they're not going to ever see Donnie again unless they know Jesus. And here I'm thinking, man, this, could be, this guy was trained at SMU. How could he ever be a father of Jesus? And the Lord says, hey, Wertzon, stop it. You've been studying for weeks now about the out-group and the in-group. Let me introduce you to some more of those that love Jesus. Amen? You understand what I'm saying? As a pastor teacher, one of the most powerful ministries that the Lord has given me through the years is just sitting and eating and being a normal guy with regular people. And tons of unbelievers say, after about an hour, they go, Hey, you're not so weird after all. And that's what I want you to realize. You don't even have to go through that pastor routine. They don't think you're weird. You work with them. You teach with them. You nurse with them. You raise kids with them. That's what this text is saying, that it's all those connections that the Holy Spirit is seeking to use. And I want you to know that His Spirit is going on into all of our culture, into all different kinds of people, all different countries around the world, but right here as well. And He's reaching out. So Cornelius stared at him and he said, What is it, Lord? Man, he sees an angel. And the word Lord here is not used of the Lord God. This is probably an angelic messenger because later on he tells us that. And the angel answered him. The text tells you, Luke says, Hey, this isn't the Lord Jesus. And the word Lord sometimes just means sir to someone that's a great glorious being. If you see an angel, it's good etiquette to say sir. Okay, Don't get on your knees, though. We're going to learn that later on, next week, when we study further in this passage, okay? Notice it says, the angel answered, your prayers and your gifts to the people, to the poor, I mean to the poor, have come up as a memorial offering before God. That's how I know God heard his prayer. The Lord, those gifts that he gave to the poor, those offerings that he made to the Salvation Army to bring it into modern culture, those offerings that he made to the Red Cross when he went and made blood donations, when he actually was exercised and he used his heavy caterpillar equipment to help a church level their ground. God saw all of that. It was a memorial. As I look back over the years, some of my friends have come to know Jesus because as unbelievers, they were invited to come and and roof with us. I've had some of my unbelieving friends say, you'd actually let me roof with you, the church? I said, we'll use anybody to keep the rain out. That's the beginning of relationships. I think somehow through the years we start to get away from that. And that's what I want you to pray this morning, that we'll stop being exclusive. As you go to your Sunday school classes, in just a few minutes, you can start having the in group and the out group. Like if you're brand new, even this morning, like as you leave in just a minute, as you leave in just a minute, You know certain people, they're your in-group. That's where you feel comfortable. But if you look at somebody and you don't know them, you automatically feel they're the out-group. And the Holy Spirit wants to create an atmosphere in this room this morning that nobody's out. That's what I want to get across to you. Nobody's out. The Holy Spirit wants to draw everybody in. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to faith. I want to become a place like if you've been hurt with religion, if you've been hurt in some of the ways that you've been trained, like if you were taught and you because when you ask questions, you are shut down. I want to become a place you can ask all those questions. I want you to become a group of people that realize the incredible excitement of going out this week and creating open atmospheres that people can ask you those hard questions. You say, well, Dave, what do I do if I don't know the answer? The greatest thing to say is I don't know the answer to that question, but I'm going to try to find out. Unbelievers really respect that. We want to be a place that has that open it. And I want you to pray that that will really happen. Because the angel revealing here that God has an open heart in it. It says, now send your men, the angel answered, your prayers and your gifts of the poor have come up with a memorial offering before God. Now send the men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who's called Peter, He's staying with Simon the Tanner, which is a little joke because Simon is Jewish, but he's unclean as he can be because he's around all these dead animals constantly and all this blood and guts. I mean, it's, there's a little twist in there. Peter, who's now going to go to the unclean people, is staying in the home that's loaded with unclean everything. Those of you that are into hunting will know what I'm talking about. That's what's going on there. So when the angels who spoke to him had gone to Cornelius, He called two of his servants and devout soldier who was one of the attendants, and he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. And that's the first leg of our story. It's the story of the hated Roman who connected with God. So what I want to ask you this morning, you're going to leave this room. This week, you're going to work with one, two, three, four, five unbelieving people. And some of you say, well, Dave, I just can't believe it. Nobody knows Jesus where I am. And you talk like that, I can't believe it. What a horrible place I'm in. They cuss and they they use Jesus Christ more than you use it Sunday morning in your messages, but they use it differently. Some of you really discourage about it. I want you to think now. Do you have a feeling they're the out group? To be honest with you, a lot of born-again believers that have known Jesus for a long time They don't like unbelievers. They don't like cronies. They don't like Italian soldiers. They don't like the person that's not part of their in-group. And that's one of Satan's biggest attacks on our lives. Because if you know Jesus, you have the author of life, the conqueror of death living in your life. You've got the greatest good news in all the world. And I want us to start to think like that. So that every situation, I'm not talking about ramming Jesus down someone's throat. My unbelieving friends can't stand that. But boy, are they waiting for someone to authentically know Jesus and really love him and understand what it means to be forgiven through him and understand what it means to have this incredible hope, surely goodness and mercy Will follow me all the days of my life, and then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You think people are really turned off about a Savior that can promise them they can dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever? To be honest with you, I haven't found too many people that are really turned off about that. A lot of people are turned off about I wasn't accepted, I asked questions, people misunderstood me. I saw a hypocrite. We have one of the greatest, greatest opportunities because I believe that the same Holy Spirit that sent an angel to wake up Cornelius and tell him what he needed to do so he could bring the light. I think that there's people this week that we can touch that will respond to the light if we develop relationships with them. I want you to think of not just having meals with your in group. I want you to do that, but I want you to start having meals with people that are on the outside. I want you to think about doing events, not just with your in-group, but with your out-group, with people you wouldn't ordinarily do it, because that's what the Lord Jesus is challenging us to do in the next couple of weeks as we study this passage. He's trying to take a Jewish guy named Peter that doesn't even eat with Gentiles and says, man, I'm going to make you not only eat with them, I'm going to make you sleep in their house. I'm going to make you share the good news, and we're going to find out that God's going to pour out his presence, his Holy Spirit on them, just like he did our in-group.